freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome back to our number two of episode 71 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And the theme of our show today is better, stronger, faster. And uh, at the top of the hour, I was saying that, you know, when we were growing up in the 70s, if you were a 70s kid, you'll probably remember the $6 million man. And, and so when we hear those three words put together, we instantly start hearing that theme song. And, uh, you know, it was about an astronaut. He came crashing down to Earth and, and they rebuilt him to be better, faster, and stronger. And I felt like there was a, a bit of an analogy there to what's going on in America. We've just elected a man whose um, motto was making America great again. And uh, we have so many areas that we can work to uh, improve and, and, and build up this country of ours. And so the guests that we've chosen for today all have some some story to tell about improving uh, the, the world around them. And so our next guest is Kelly McMillan, the CEO of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks, located right here in Phoenix, Arizona, where we are. And if you hunt or compete in the shooting sports, you know the McMillan name has been synonymous with top-tier quality and design. And this is a story of a family business that has has succeeded. It's become the American dream even against some serious government meddling because Kelly's father, Gail McMillan, began the fiberglass stock business in 1973, right at the same time that uh, the Bionic Man was on TV, come come to think of it, in the family's home garage. And it has just exploded into this uh, incredible, um, I would say, internationally known company. Wouldn't you say, Kelly? Welcome to the show. I would. Thank you, Cheryl. Thanks for having me on. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you guys aren't just a business. You're very involved in competition events. You're involved in, um, you know, donating to worthy causes. I mean, this is, this is uh, truly what America is about. Well, I, I really believe that America was built on uh, business-to-business uh, relationships. Uh, if somebody in your town had a service that they offered that you needed and, and you did something that they needed, you traded, and that, that's how we formed this great country. Uh, what I like to do is make sure that the future of the firearms uh, industry is strong, and that means sharing that with uh, newcomers to the, to the industry and, and to gun ownership. And we try to to do that by sponsoring young shooters, um, shooters of all kinds in in all different kinds of competition, as well as TV shows and and radio shows. That's so awesome. And we will definitely get to that. Um, But when we started the the show, I I mentioned that, that you guys had some serious government meddling and it had a name. It was called Operation Choke Point. And we ourselves were choked off and we like to say we won't mention the the name of the bank but that we were chased out of the bank (laughs) and you have no problem naming the bank you were fighting with absolutely we were actually treated un-americanly so Mm. so Uh, what happened what happened kelly well in 2012 um, bank of america had scheduled what i assumed was going to be our annual uh, account review meeting um but when my banker showed up with somebody I'd never met before from downtown with a, a vice president in front of his name on his uh, business card, I thought something was up. And, and as it turns out, he wasn't 10 minutes into his little conversation before I realized and said, let me interrupt you. You're, you're going to tell me that Bank of America no longer wants to do business with Macmillan Fiberglass Stocks or Macmillan Firearms because we manufacture firearms. And he said, that's correct. 
And uh, I said, well, I don't have any problem switching banks, but I just want to make sure that you don't mind that I tell everybody I know, and mm-hmm. it's the NRA, SCI, all of the organizations that we deal with, that, that Bank of America is not a, a Second Amendment-friendly bank. And he said, you do what you must. So that's how that whole um, wave of, of email, telephone calls, it actually lasted for about eight months where it was Every day I got a response from somebody through email or phone wanting to know if it was true and to tell me how much they supported in what I, you know, supported me in what I did. Well, I was, um, I mean, horrified, of course, to know what you were going through, but, but encouraged because now it finally had a name. It had some truth because we were experiencing a very similar thing and everybody I talked to obviously they'd never heard of it and they started casting a John Desai at us. Oh, clearly you must be doing something wrong if your bank has just invited you to see the front door, right? And don't let it hit you on the way out. And then finally it's like, okay, there really is something here. We're not conspiracy theorists. We're not crazy. And then I think uh, it might have even been your story that hit like Fox News and, and then we heard the name Operation Choke Point. So um, so what did you do then? You, you actually tried to be part of the solution for a while, right? I did. I, I want, we found out that more than anything, people had been being denied their ability to process credit card payments for firearms. And that wasn't something that was an issue for me and that had nothing to do with my relationship with Bank of America. But it gave me an idea that, man, if, if I can get out there and use my cloud in the industry to try to to put together an organization that would specifically target firearms mm-hmm. and process their credit card uh, payments, um, that I think that would be the best way that I could help. So I, I partnered up with a, a company that I thought was a real upstanding um, Second Amendment-friendly uh, organization and started to let people know that they could go to this particular company if they needed that their firearms uh processing done Mm -hmm. that's a brilliant idea i mean really and i keep saying there is so much money in the firearms industry that we really should somehow figure out how to just be a self uh financed industry so because we are still experiencing the problems that you're talking about you know we'll find you know the credit card people knock on the door hey we can get you the best rate we go we sell guns we sell guns online we have an auction where we sell guns online they go oh see ya bye you know we have four credit card processing companies and the reason for that is because won't one won't let us ship one won't let us do an auction house one won't let us do guns and then i can't remember the other one i think the other one is just because i've had it for all my life (laughs) but so what company did you guys form to uh that made it gun friendly well we worked with merchant services um solutions in in florida um but what we found out was the biggest problem was it was the banks that the processing was processed through because you're at their mercy. They can Still, tell you one yeah. thing, but when that that uh, um, account comes through to them, they can, and what was happening more and more is they would set up a, a potential limit for mm-hmm. the, the account, yeah. and then one big transaction would come through and they'd say right. oh well we didn't we didn't plan for this so we're going to hold ten thousand dollars out of your account and keep it as long as we want to yeah, yeah. so so at some point it still filters right back to the exact to, the banks. to, to that choke yeah. point you know, they're choking off our financial abilities and what a lot of people don't realize is when you change banks in my in my business when i changed banks from chase it was difficult because then you you've got to reform all your you know where all your money goes has to go to this new bank. It's it very time-consuming. It's, it's a lot of work. All right. So I said that we would definitely talk about your radio show. So you're sitting here with the earphones on in front of a microphone. This is, you know, no big deal to you. You do this all the time. What's that about? Well, I, I have to be honest that, that through this Operation Choke Point issue with Bank of America, I've done probably a couple of dozen radio interviews. Um, but I had someone approach me and said, we think you would be great for a a radio spot where you can get people involved in the firearms industry and and talk about it, anything you want to talk about. And I gave it a lot of thought. And I think it's a good way for me to try to reach people who might have 
questions about the industry and want to know more about competition shooting or hunting or anything related to firearms. And because I, I know so many people, I don't think I'm going to have a problem finding some interesting guests. So not at um, all. I'm going to give it a try and see how it works. I love it. I'm so excited. What's the name of it? Uh, Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Oh, perfect, which brings us right around to what's going on. We've got like two minutes left with the the new line of plastic stocks. Well, you know, we've been in business for 43 years, and we've stayed basically in the fiberglass stock business. But with um, the way that our business is growing, um, I, I wanted to be able to reach a different part of the market. So I'm in the process of developing some molds to have injection molded plastic stocks made. Uh, there'll be some things that are totally unique about these that no other plastic stock on the market uh, can compete with. Um, and the biggest thing is that they're going to be two tried and tested Macmillan um, models that, that people love, that they've, they come, they're the biggest selling um, models that Macmillan fiberglass stocks makes. So I know they'll be big sellers when we get them on the market for, to compete with the rest of the plastic stocks. That is fantastic. We are so excited to see that uh, come to fruition. And when does your uh, Taking Stock radio show start up? Uh, Friday uh, the 13th. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Staring uh, danger in the face and just moving on forward. (laughs) I have no superstitions. (laughs) I love it. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us here today. Uh, And and how do folks find uh, the Macmillan stocks? MacmillanUSA.com. MacmillanUSA.com. Thank you again, Kelly McMillan. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, stick around because on the other side of this commercial, we're going to be talking fake news with Frank Miniter. How do we recognize it? What is it exactly? And how do we best avoid it? We're going to learn a lot from Frank Miniter on the other side of this commercial. Stick around. Well, I learned a- when you're working hard to beat debt, you've got to think of creative ways to get your income up. Here's an idea. Sell some stuff at auction. Start with locally owned and operated potofgoldestate.com. The owners, Dan and Cheryl Todd, have over 60 years of combined experience in selling antiques, collectibles, guns, coins, and jewelry. And over their many years in business, they've earned the trust of thousands of people just like you. Whether you're saving for a rainy day emergency fund or paying down debt, let potofgoldestate.com help you get the extra cash you need. Potofgoldestate.com will purchase your items outright, or you can consign them to their twice-a-month online auction. Pot of Gold's nationwide online auction is a great place to get top dollar for your collectibles. They specialize in everything from antiques, coins, high-end collectibles, to cars, boats, guns, and more. Get started today at potofgoldestate.com, or visit them off I-10 and Dysart Road in Historic Avondale for some live auction action. For more information, visit potofgoldestate.com. That's potofgoldestate.com. Hey ladies, Cheryl Todd here from azfirearms.com. Many of us ladies are taking the important step of becoming responsibly armed, but it can be an intimidating process. And with all the politics swirling, a first-time gun buyer, whether a guy or a lady, might feel uncertain about where to begin and who to trust. At azfirearms.com, we are a small, friendly, family-owned shop that specializes in first-time gun buyers. We are staffed with knowledgeable people who are ready to help answer all of your questions. My husband Dan and I pride ourselves on having a safe, no-pressure environment. Once you have decided on a purchase, azfirearms.com partners with professional firearms instructors who will train you to become a responsible, safe, prepared, and proficient gun owner. So ladies and gents, when you are looking for personalized service and a huge selection, come to azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road or visit us on the web at azfirearms.com. Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. And we are glad you're here with us today. If you have missed any portion of this show, or if you just want to binge listen to all of our episodes, please check out our website. Go to Gun 
freedomradio.com. Click the On Demand tab, and every one of our episodes is uh, listed there. And also, it's kind of fun to put a face with a voice. And so we have a guest tab you can click on, and you'll see the photos of everybody we've ever had on and their bios and links to their Facebook page and their web page. And it's just a great resource for uh, anybody that's interested in this industry. Well, our theme today is Better, Stronger, and Faster. And our next guest is Frank Miniter, who is the author of a new book titled This Will Make a Man of You, One Man's Search for Hemingway and Manhood in a Changing World. Frank is also a contributor to Forbes magazine and recently wrote an article titled Beware of the Mainstream Media's Solution to Fake News. And I I knew that we could trust Frank, so I wanted to reach out to him and uh, welcome him to the show. Frank, are you with us? Sure, I'm good to talk to you again, Cheryl. Oh, you as well. And Dan's here with us also. Hi, Frank. Hey. And uh, I knew that if I asked you these questions about fake news, that I would get a straight answer. And so, you know, really, what what the heck is it? What is fake news? Is it like purposely made up? Is it just unintentional but sloppy? Or is it lazy, unvetted reposting of information? Is it all of the above? Like, help us out here. Yeah, the most obvious type, of course, is the one that's made up. I mean, I, I got a story into my inbox last summer that saying that George Soros uh, was dead. Um, <laughs> of course, he's the, the Hungarian billionaire who funds left-wing causes all over the world, including anti-gun measures here in, here in America. So I thought, well, that's interesting, and that's news. Well, it didn't turn out to be news. It was a hoax mm-hmm. someone put out there to get hits and, and make money through Google Ads. Mm. Um, and there, there, there are some really funny examples of this. I mean, back in the, in the primary season, when Marco Rubio had talked about Donald Trump's hands, implying something else wasn't all that it should be. <laughs> Um, you know, this whole right? thing went out. It got, you know, it seemed to come from ABC, and it had ABC.com on it and stuff. It pulled a lot of people saying that Trump had done what Anthony Weiner had. It tweeted out a photo of his manhood to prove it was all that it should be. Uh, and, you know, that got a lot of, a lot of people got caught in that trap. So there's that crazy part of fake news. But there's a whole other part of fake news I would call fake news, the propaganda part of it, that we see from, like, if you've been reading the, the front page of the Washington Post or the New York Times leading up to this last election, uh, there was a lot of propaganda on that front page. They were pushing a certain viewpoint without really caring about the other side of the issue, only taking one side of the facts and twisting them and spinning them politically and treating them as news. That's propaganda, and I think that's fake news. I think that's why I love when a lot of people hear this and they hear that they're saying the election was fixed and this is why Hillary lost. Uh, they, they see this with a bit of irony and, and, and don't really completely believe the mainstream media's view on fake news. Frank, I don't know how we're going to have a serious conversation if you uh, mention uh, Wieners in the first part, <laughs> Anthony Wieners' uh, thing in the first part. We've been running off the rails today anyway. Our, our first show of the new year, I think we're still uh, a little bit light um, and, and celebratory. But, uh, you know, when you talk about propaganda, you know, I always look for word choice when I'm looking at an article. And because we're in the gun business things that stand out to me is when they use words like, you know, he had an arsenal of weapons. And I say, well, could it also maybe be a collection of firearms? Could it have been an inventory of guns, right? But when they choose heated, emotionally charged words, I think that's maybe one clue. What do you think? Yeah, and I love when they say a high-powered rifle. Yeah. I think, well, what rifle isn't in 2022? <laughs> you know, what are, they, what are they talking about? And then they, they, in New York, they'll do this lot. They'll count the number of rounds uh, taken from someone's house who did whatever. You know, 400 rounds. I think to myself, well, I've got that many just in the cupboard. What, what, you know, <laughs> no, that's just a good start. That's, that's what's rolling in the back of my truck right now. <laughs> right. So, um, so in your article, your article is titled, Beware of the Mainstream Media Solution to Fake News. So I just love that the people that have screwed it up are now supposed to be trustworthy to fix the problem. So tell us about that. Yeah, someone on the left are proposing a new fairness doctrine uh, for media. Um, I mean, a fairness doctrine, if that was still, it was in the 80s that Ronald Reagan got rid of it. If that was there, this ra- your radio show wouldn't even be on because it ha- your, your station would have to put on two opposing views, opposite views to present any topic. Mm-hmm. If not, they may be censored uh, by the federal government. Um, so t- most of them just didn't have anything topical on in the first place, anything news-related, because they didn't want to get involved in that. Well, by taking the, the media I- into that place, 
what you end up then is the government's going to step in and decide who is a fair source, who is a reputable source, and who's a bad guy, who, who can't be a fair source. I mean, would Obama say Fox News is not a fair source, and therefore they can't be promoted on the Internet? I mean, where would that go? There's so many First Amendment infringements with that line of thinking that it's, it's just it's scary. Uh, but that is where the left would like to take radio again, and, and some are talking about actually taking print media there. I want to give some advice to the left. If you want to fix this fake news situation, just change the channel. <laughs> right? Don't listen to just it. Just do some honest reporting. Right. Just actually go out there and talk to people and figure out what's really going on and present the issue as fairly as you possibly can. <clears throat> people will respect you again, and you'll destroy these fake news uh, sites. So it's, if Obama didn't like it, uh, he would call Fox News fake news, and therefore they'd be off the air, right? That's that's more control yeah, than they ever. be able to promote the way they are now, yeah. right? You know, Google and Facebook and so on. Well, one thing that I caught my eye in your article was that the New York Times publisher, he he apparently writes a letter apologizing, sort of, and he says, you know, we we're going to rededicate ourselves, and and you know, how are we going to rededicate ourselves to bring you the same fairness, the same level of scrutiny, and the same independence? I was like, wait a minute, it's that you're not you're rededicating yourself to do exactly what you've been doing and that's an apology help me out here what does that even mean no it's a classic apology non-apology uh and they didn't do it at all they went right back to doing exactly what they'd done and uh, they've lost their readership they're dying they're actually closing some of the floors and renting them out right now uh, they're in that process of people losing their offices to consolidate because their readership is going down they've lost their credibility and they don't know why and they still can't face it they've tried to face it almost but then couldn't quite bear the, the, to do that. So they're, they're going down, and they don't until they understand why, um, if they ever do, um, you know, they're not going to turn it around. So I think it, the future of the New York Times and so on is going to be diminishing, diminishing uh, product as more and more new websites, new news sources open up and, and satisfy the needs that people will have. But we, hopefully as that goes on, uh, people find fair, fact-paced kind of news to kind of give us a foundation, which I, unfortunately I don't see enough of out there right now. I know, and it is really hard to, to figure out where you can get your news safely because, you know, something can look and feel exactly like um, a news site and then as soon as you follow the money, you go to their About Us page and, you know, you start seeing, oh, who are the players? Then you know, uh, there's some red flags going up there. But it's like, who was it that some famous actor just said something about, um, it was Denzel Washington. He said, if you don't read the news, then you are completely uninformed. And if you do read the news, you're misinformed. And it's so sad because there's a lot of people I know that they're so afraid to be wrong, they're just going to tune out. They're just going to stick their head in the sand and they're going to be completely out of the loop. And we can't really afford that. We need everybody to, to be in the game. Well, as a journalist, I, I reach out to sources to try to triple source something and find out what really happened. You know, I'll, I'll deal with a government source, for example, and often I'll deal with someone who's spinning me uh, in, in some direction. I have to understand why they're spinning me, who they are, what the whole context is behind it. So then I have to turn around and say, okay, how do I fact check them and, and go through this whole process? It gets very difficult and onerous, and a lot of journalists just don't want to do that. You look at the major media, you, they make their most money off of views, off of hits, off of sensationalism. So that, that fact-based reporter who's doing all that hard work, uh, he's not getting paid then for his, all the work he, that he or she did. Uh, even if they do a great piece, they go through weeks of this hard work and they get that great piece out there, it's stolen by 100 sites within minutes and up on everyone else's site using your same quotes and information with no, no, no check on them for having done that, with, you know, without readers really understanding what happened. So we're in a system, in a place right now, I don't know where it comes out on the other side. Mm, it's so true. And another quote that jumped to my mind is the, that a lie can go around the world three times or something before the truth even gets its pants on, something like that. <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, that really is the case. And I think we just have to really engage our minds and engage in critical thinking as we are looking for, you know, what are the, what are the emotionally laced words in the article and and kind of help us start sorting things out if even that's one tiny little piece that we can do different and before we run out of time i definitely want to uh take a quick second and talk about your newest book because you have several and how people can get that book because you know valentine's day is coming up and it is hard to buy valentine's day stuff 
for dudes. I'm just going to throw that out there. Ladies are easy, right? <laughs> and that's a sexist thing to say. But, uh, you know, chocolate, flowers, or now, you know, any kind of self-defense thing, we ladies are happy. But guys are harder. And so your book, I think, would be an awesome gift, thinking about Valentine's Day coming up. And it's called This Will Make a Man of You, One Man's Search for Hemingway and Manhood in a Changing World. What What is that about? Tell us more about it. Well, I chased Ernest Hemingway from Paris to Pamplona while asking those questions. What's happened to manliness today, and how do we how do we get it back? And I found all the answers were actually in his story. You know, men, any guy, any, any boy to a man, we all want to go and challenge ourselves to figure out what we can do and can't do. We want to do these kind of things. But it used to be they gave you a structure, different societies, cultures, so on, gave you a structure to build into, into a better person or a bigger person, into that man you really wanted to be. But we've taken all that away from people today, so people are searching for it in weird directions. So I, I would say what I did is I went and found the structure. Here it is. Here's how you can grow yourself if you want to be uh, and have fun doing it, be an adventurous guy doing it. I mean, do you want to be that hero in the room who got, stands up and actually does things, or do you want to be that metrosexual wimp? And which, which do women want you to be? And I always hear they want them to be the stand-up gentleman. Um, so that's what this book is. It's a fun adventure, chasing, running with bulls and the whole bit, some of that crazy stuff uh, to show people how they can be the men they really want to be. That is so awesome. So tell folks how they can find the book, how they can find you and follow the work you do. Oh, this will make a man of you. It's on Amazon. It's, on, it's at Barnes & Noble. Really, it should be wherever books are sold. You can find me at frankminiature.com. You can see a lot of my articles at americasfirstfreedom.org and at forbes.com. Fantastic. I always enjoy talking to you, and I'm going to find another excuse to bring you on again real soon. What do you say? Anytime, Cheryl. I love it. Thank you again, and Happy New Year to Frank Miniter. Well, stick around, because on the other side of these two minutes is our fourth in our four-part series on conflict de-escalation. We're going to be talking with John G. Miller, the author of QBQ, The Question Behind the Question, what to really ask yourself to eliminate blame, victim thinking, complaining, and procrastination. Stick around. Hey, everybody. This is Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan, world champion gunslinger and Hollywood gun coach. In the Westerns, there's always a good guy and a bad guy and sometimes the ugly guy. And I always root for the good guy, which is why I'm here to tell you about the good folks over at azfirearms.com. They are straight shooters and always give you the best deal in town. azfirearms.com is the biggest little gun shop in Arizona and have something for every single gun enthusiast. Long guns, pistols, hunting military, law enforcement, home protection, you name it. And when you've got some guns to sell or trade in and trade up, azfirearms.com are the folks to see. Geez, they bought a cannon once. They are family-owned and operated, friendly staff, courteous, totally reliable. azfirearms.com will give you the best value for your used guns. So stop in, see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd at azfirearms.com in Old Town, Avondale, off the I-10 and Dysart Road, and tell them Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan sent you. Don Collier here, letting you know that you won't get fool's gold at Potty Gold Auction. They're the genuine article. Potty Gold Auctions off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Stop in and see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd in Avondale, Arizona for some live auction action. Or check them out on the web at pottygoldestate.com. The Second Amendment Foundation is the organization that protects our right to keep and bear arms. They defend our rights in courts from coast to coast. Now they need our help. Go to saf.org and join the Second Amendment Foundation today. Dedicated to promoting a better understanding of our constitutional heritage to privately own and possess firearms. Support those who support our Second Amendment rights today. That's saf.org. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And today's theme is better, faster, stronger. And what a better theme to have as we wrap up our four-part series on conflict de-escalation with our next guest, 
author, John G. Miller. John has written a book. He's written several books, actually. But this particular book I have in my hand, we personally use in our three businesses as required reading for all new staff members. It's called QBQ, the question behind the question, which speaks to personal accountability, eliminating blame and procrastination, and victim thinking. John, welcome to the show. Cheryl, thanks for having me on. Absolutely, and Dan's here too. He's on the other mic. Happy New Year, John. Dan isn't half as important as you, Cheryl, because I've met you both. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Well, I was saying at the top of our first hour that we had actually had you come out and you were a guest speaker and uh, everything that you imparted to our staff and to the guests in the room, it has reverberated for these many years since we've had you come out, comes up in conversations all the time. Um, It's a way that we can quickly check one another, you know? And say, hey, how about the QBQ yep. on that, right? Well, that's great. I'm glad you're both using it. I'm glad you're both having me on. Dan, good to talk to you again as well. You too. And, John, it's Cheryl's fault. It's always been her fault. I've never done anything <laughs> wrong in my life, and she's that's to blame not, for that's everything. Not what, that's not what she emailed me, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this part where I hit him with your book. Is that how it works? All right. That so is not how we de-escalate, okay? That is not how we de-escalate. So, um You know, really, if you are in a conflict with somebody, if you are taking ownership of your part of it, I think that is automatically de-escalation. What what do you say about that? Sure. Well, it's funny you say it that way. I recently wrote a book, excuse me, wrote a blog at QBQ.com or on my Facebook page that basically says, you know, we all know it takes two to tango, but it absolutely takes two to argue. Mm, Absolutely. Each of us could at any point de-escalate an argument. Uh, Psychologists and counselors use the concept of spiraling. You know, like let's say you confront your son, your your 17-year-old son on a a behavior you don't approve of. And then all of a sudden he says, well, last year you, and Mm. of course, Dad, you never, and Mom always, and all of a sudden you're spiraling it into subjects and topics that weren't even supposed to be brought up at that that time. And it takes great discipline to keep a conversation slash confrontation on track. But at any point, I can step out of it by simply, in our case, we teach the QBQ, the question behind the question, asking, what can I do right now to de-escalate this conflict? How can I calm things down? See, it's not about if only the other person would de-escalate, if only the other person would relent, if only the other person would calm down. It's always about me because I can only change me anyway. Well, and... What I've always thought is, doesn't that then put you in the power position? Because you are in control of what you can control. And instead of relinquishing and abdicating all the emotions and and all the results of any interaction with somebody uh, by by doing the, uh, what, the old-fashioned way, the normal way, the human way, but if you are really looking at how can I, you know, what is my part of this argument, always bringing it mm-hmm. back around like that, then it really puts you in control of things. Well, it's true. Sometimes we regret not saying often. I think we regret saying something. We just can't take our words back. Less words is usually more effective when it comes to communicating confronting, dealing with something so we don't let that spiraling that I mentioned happen. So it's always about me controlling my tongue, about me controlling what I say. I am always in the powerful position, as you put it, of choosing what I say next. And that's what personal accountability is all about. That's what we write about in the QBQ book is personal accountability is making better choices in the moment. So as I'm confronting or or arguing, call it what you want, or conversing with somebody in a heated manner, if I stay calm, if I choose words that excite, don't incite other people, I will always have a better, more powerful position. And then later, I will not regret, because I I wouldn't have said those terrible things that sometimes we say, and then we go, oh my gosh, did I really say that? Wow, that is so powerful. And so, um, you know, you, you say that there are two myths of accountability. Have we already touched on, on either of the two? No, not really. Uh, classically, people look at accountability, especially in their organizations, 
as first a team thing, because we've talked a lot about team building over the past few decades. We've talked a lot about uh, teamwork, the importance of teams, collaboration, and all that's important, but I think we've lost sight of the individual or the power of one. What can one person do to make a difference? What can one person do to serve the customer? What can one person do to solve a problem? And so we end up hiding behind the team with language like, well, the team didn't get it done. Mm. Excuse me. the, The team didn't get it done. The team didn't have enough resources. The team wasn't committed. The team missed the goal. All of a sudden, we're hiding behind the team because we think accountability is a team thing. No, it's not a group thing. It's not a team thing. It's a me thing. So today I say, you know what? I'm not going to hide behind the team. I can't change the team. I can't change my colleagues. I can't change others. What I can do is ask, what can I do to help the team move forward? How can I drive the team forward in a positive manner? The other myth around accountability beyond thinking it's a team thing is we think it's something I hold others to. My wife and I just came out with a book called Raising Accountable Kids, and we love it when parents get it and they say, oh, thank you for my 12-year-old. No, the book is not for your 12-year-old. The book is for you, Mom. It's for you, Dad. If we're going to raise accountable kids, <laughs> we need to practice personal accountability. So personal accountability, uh, Dan and, and um, Cheryl, is not something I hold someone else to. It's something I do. And, of course, with my background in corporate training, this is where I – discovered all this managers would hold their people accountable instead of asking what we call the qbq what can i do to be a better coach how can i increase my leadership effectiveness those kinds of questions get rid of blame finger pointing victim thinking complaining procrastination and make everything better you know what go ahead dan it's very dangerous being a human being today (laughs) you know i mean i i I listen to your examples and you know i understand that you know we have to take uh we have to take blame for what we do, but Ownership. it's like, okay, so I have managers and when I see that they're behind, I'll get in there and kind of do what I can do to help. And now I'm, I'm hogging the basketball, mm-hmm. you know, so it's difficult is to, to where to draw the line. Management is as much an art as a science. Mm. And we have to learn and only through trial and error can managers learn when to step in when to hold back. And that is the magic of good management. When do I let my people fail? Because we learn most when we fail and then come behind with good positive coaching. And when do I step in and rescue them? The real question, Dan, when someone is not doing what I think they should be doing, if I'm their manager, if I'm your boss, Dan, you're not doing what I want. The QBQ, the accountable question is, have I laid out for you what you need to do have i been clear enough have i been specific what can i do to make sure dan understands what needs to be done to serve the customer it always comes back to the manager no different than a baseball team a baseball team or a football team fails guess guess who gets fired it isn't the players it's always the manager or the coach so it always comes back to me harry truman truman the buck stops here nothing new there well, I've got a good team, and they are teaching me, and I have read your book, and I am learning, and it's, it's, it's a process, but it's difficult. Well, I think the process is definitely something to, to think about because I don't think there's definitely a light switch, although one of your other books that's sitting here right in on my desk is called Flipping the Switch, Unleash the Power of Personal Accountability Using the QBQ. So how does that come into play? You know, Cheryl, I was just sure you were, you were going to mention my book, Outstanding, because when I came down to speak to your group, you stood up there and said, you know, QBQ is great, but I love Outstanding even more. That one's on my it. desk, wow. too. <laughs> I need to hire her and take her to every gig I ever have. Well, Flipping the Switch. Flipping the Switch is the companion book to QBQ, and it takes some principles like learning, service, trust, ownership, and creativity, and it brings those ideas to life, and we use the QBQ methodology to bring those principles to life. People that succeed and in the moment don't make excuses, don't point fingers, but ask, what can I do differently? How can I grow from this experience? They have flipped the switch. They tend to win. They tend to achieve. They tend to have more joy and fun in their life because, come on, let's be honest, who wants to be a whiner and a blamer? Absolutely. And now Dan is holding the book Outstanding, and he's got it open to a specific page. Well, John, I just wanted to know, how did you become to be so smart with this stuff? I mean, where did you learn everything that you're teaching us? It's probably his 20 well, Dan, kids it, that he has. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe it's the seven kids and seven grandkids. They're, they're still teaching me. How about the wife of uh, Karen of 36 years? Maybe it's that. She's taught me a lot. Made me a better man and all that. But, you know, it's not because I went to Cornell and Ivy League school where Ken Blanchard and Tom Peters went. Didn't learn anything there. I learned all that I teach from my client base. I sold training for a decade, and I sat in 10,000 hours of workshops with management people, and that's where I discovered the QBQ, because that's where I heard managers say, why can't we find good people? When will that department do its job right? Why won't the CEO give us the vision? Who dropped the ball? Who made the mistake? Who came up with that dumb idea? And I sat there, and I thought, you know, there's got to be better questions. And 20 years ago, I came up with the QBQ, and started teaching it and immediately realized it put people, including me, on the path of personal accountability, not blame, not victim thinking, not procrastination. And so 20, really 22 years later now, I'm out still teaching personal accountability. My daughter, Kristen, who's 34, does the exact same thing. We're a team. That is fantastic. And as I said, you've written several titles, and I want to be sure that folks know how they can reach out to you. Maybe they would like to hire you to come and speak, or they can get a hold of any number of your books and pass them out to their staff or just follow your blog. How do they do that? Oh, thanks, Cheryl. Thanks for asking. It's so simple. QBQ.com, three letters, QBQ.com. Come there, and you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, you know, all those uh, social media places, follow our blog, and you can buy something. What the heck? I love it. Well, we (laughs) hope that uh, you and your very large family and all your critters that you have, uh, have, you have a a lizard named Wizard. I I never forget that. That's fantastic. Uh, Have a wonderful and happy and blessed New Year. And if you could leave our, our listeners with one thought about how they can improve their New Year, what would it be? Identify the person you've been trying to fix, a spouse, a friend, a boss, a colleague, a staff member, a child, and today say, I'm done. I'm going to turn all my energy back on me, the only person I can change anyway. What can I do to change me? And that is what I always like to leave people with because everybody's trying to fix everybody else. And the day it stops and I put my energy into me, everything's better. John, when you get ready to retire, you guys can come live with us, okay? <laughs> then he'd be a referee for the rest of his life. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no, just just as a inspiration and guide. But but you'd have to <laughs> okay. wear a black and white striped uh, shirt and have a, a whistle around your neck, so you you'd probably end up being a referee your whole life. Is what I think. No, said. Cheryl is much like you, as she has brought so much to our relationship. She's the smart one, and she. She does some of the things that you say, and that's what kept us married 31 years. Wow. Congratulations. Terrific. Well, thank you. And I've learned so much by reading all of your books. So I highly recommend them to everyone, starting with the QBQ and definitely my favorite, Outstanding. Why? Because there's 47 ways to make your organization exceptional. You give me a checklist, I am in. So thank you again so much, and Happy New Year to you. John G. Miller. We are moving along to our second hour. No, not our second hour. Our 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 final segment is what I meant to say. I can't believe how fast it goes. We have our Responsibly Armed Citizen Report and Dan's Commentary. Stick around. Hi, folks. I'm Don Carter. If you're looking for the biggest little gun shop in the West, look to azfirearms.com. They have 1,100 guns in stock and a knowledgeable staff to help you find just the right firearm for you. AZFirearms.com is my nationwide hometown gun shop, and you should make it yours, too. And we're back with Cheryl Todd talking about the huge gun buying event at azfirearms.com. Oh, AZ, I get it as in Arizona. Yes, but... Oh, or AZ as in everything from A to Z. Well, yes, that too. But what I'm telling everybody about is that azfirearms.com is having a huge gun buying event to buy your old firearms all across Arizona and everything from A to Z. That's great news. See, my grandpa left me an old shotgun and it's just sitting on a closet shelf at home. So I can bring that into azfirearms.com and sell my gun. 
Absolutely. azfirearms.com buys, sells, trades, and even consigns your old firearms. Any vintage, any style, military, long guns, handguns, hunting, or home protection. Single items or entire collections. We offer the highest value for your used firearms in a safe and friendly environment, staffed by knowledgeable people. azfirearms.com is Knoll Town Avondale off I-10 and Dysart Road. Come on down to the huge gun buying event every day through the end of the month at the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And for all your firearm and ammo needs, visit azfirearms.com. Come listen to the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Hear about armed civilians protecting people they love. Were they lucky or were they prepared? Come listen and learn at selfdefensegunstories.com. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. And I can't believe we're in our final segment on our first show of the year 2017. It goes so fast. Well, we always say that this is one of our favorite segments. It's the Responsibly Armed Citizen Report because responsibly armed citizens use guns 2.5 million times a year for self-defense and 200,000 times a year a woman prevents a sexual assault because she was armed. Somehow we never hear these stories on network news, so we are proud to bring them to you here on Gun Freedom Radio. Fight's a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Well, here is another story for anyone who likes to preach about how ordinary citizens don't need guns and that we should just call the police if there's an emergency. You see, danger creates his own opportunities to strike, and he is careful to plan a surprise attack on those he wishes to harm so that we can't just call the police. Danger doesn't want the police involved until he's long gone and you or I are laying injured or dead in his wake. While the rights restrictors and anti-gun crowds like to pretend that the police are omnipresent and can appear like magic out of thin air just before something bad is about to happen to us, you and I know better. And Danger also knows full well that it takes the police a minimum of 5 to 15 minutes to arrive at any location. It takes time to dial 911. It takes time to communicate what your emergency is, your name, your location, and it takes time for police cruisers to travel through crowded and sometimes rainy or snowy streets and roads. Then once the authorities do arrive, they must assess the situation to to determine what is actually happening, who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, and how best to deal with all of these elements. Danger knows this. You know this. And I know this. And thankfully for one Uber passenger who is still alive to tell the tale, the driver of his ride on one ordinary morning just before dawn knew these things, and was a responsibly armed citizen who stopped Danger's deadly plans. Uber driver shoots and kills robber along Causeway near Aventura Mall, contributed by David J. Neal of the Miami Herald. An Uber driver confronted by a robber who had a pair of guns shot the man dead on Sunday next to a causeway near the Aventura Mall, police said. The driver, who wasn't immediately identified, was not hurt in the violent robbery attempt next to the Lehman Causeway, according to Aventura Police. A passenger inside the Uber, who was headed to the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport, also was not harmed. One other suspect escaped. But by Sunday evening, detectives were talking to a person of interest, police confirmed. The chaos on the causeway, which links Sunny Isle Beach to Aventura, backed up westbound traffic into mid-morning Sunday as police investigated. The Aventura Mall is just to the north of Northeast, 197th Street and Biscayne Boulevard, and attracts heavy shopping crowds this time of year. The deadly encounter at the causeway started shortly after the Uber driver picked up a passenger on the 3300 block of Northeast, 191st Street, in a black Toyota Corolla around 5.50 a.m., Aventura Police Spokesman Chris Goronitis said. A Dodge Caravan minivan cut off the Uber on the westbound access road next to the Lehman Causeway, 
a man emerged with two handguns drawn, ready to rob the Uber driver. But then the Uber driver drew his own weapon, Goronitis said. Four shots later, the robber was dead on the scene. The accomplice sped away in the Dodge Caravan. The caravan was later recovered by police. Police interviewed the Uber driver who had a permit to carry a gun, but charges were unlikely, police said. According to Uber's website, the company prohibits riders and drivers from carrying firearms of any kind in a vehicle while using our app. Violators could lose access to Uber, the policy indicates. How about that? That's their comment, that violators could lose access to the Uber or maybe could have been shot dead in the back seat if the driver had not been a responsibly armed citizen. I just But that would be these, a violation too. I mean, if you're dead, you can't use Uber. <laughs> just it boggles my mind, you know? I just don't understand the the removed they're so removed from the humanness of the situation. Um Right, why don't they, you know, let them carry guns? Yeah, whatever and if they the do laws, something wrong with the gun, deal with that. Yeah, why whatever, are we why are we doing this? We're, we're protecting criminals is yeah. what we're doing. Yeah, I'm telling you. So whatever the laws of your area are, your city that you're in, that's what you're allowed to do in, a, in an Uber. Uber. We do it for the criminals. <laughs> well, I think you're gearing up for your commentary. Where's your home? Um. <laughs> Tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. I took this off a website, Bearing Arms, posted on January 2nd from Bob Owens. A waitress, Heather Stanley, at a Georgia Waffle House was fired because she discharged a pistol in a in a, in a robbery, okay? So what happened, um, three men came into the restaurant, and went to another waitress and said, give us all the money out of the drawer. The lady did give the money to him, and then they fled. So when they fled, another waitress, this uh, Heather Stanley, decided she was going to go to her car as these guys were fleeing. She went to her car, grabbed a gun, and shot it in the air. But they're already gone. They were on their way out. They were leaving. So what? And so... What was she Her purpose, she said, she, wa- she shot in the air because she didn't want to shoot a gas tank that was nearby. But she wanted the robbers to know never to come back here again. Oh, no. Now, there are so many things wrong with that. And, and the first thing I want to say, we're talking about being a responsible gun owner. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't shoot in the air, first of all. That's totally out of the question. And second... Um, you can't shoot somebody fleeing from a, a scene. Right. The threat has left the building. Like Elvis, right. the <clears throat> threat has left the building. Don't pursue. That is only to defend yourself with the firearm. Now, you know, there might be certain circumstances if they would have take, taken a waitress and put him in the car with her. But then you've got the danger of shooting the waitress. So, you know, you you have to. It's It's like we talked about earlier. Uh, with and- Andrew Bronca. He wrote the book, The Law of Self-Defense. I highly recommend you get this book. It's not a sales pitch, but I just want to tell you, in her circumstances, she got fired, okay? And she's on GoFundMe page trying to raise money because she has a family. And I- I'm sorry, but I think that the Waffle House did the right thing. Now, if she would have stopped the robbers with the gun and had the gun on her and used the gun to stop a crime, I, I can understand that. But she went out to her car. The threat was already gone. And we as res- we have to be responsible as gun owners. We have to. And so when we do something wrong, we have to accept the consequences of when we did something wrong. And she should have been fired. And I'm sorry about that. But uh, there's a lot of people saying she, she shouldn't have been fired. But if you think about it, you know, using a gun like that, it's not responsible. I mean, who, where'd the bullet go? Right. Yeah, you cannot use a firearm improperly. And I think that's one of the the myths or the fallacies uh, that the people that are rights restrictors and the, the gun grabbers and the anti-gun crowd, that they don't understand about us on this side of the fence. We are gun store owners. We are uh, constitutionalists. We value our Second Amendment rights. Um, and we 
have no tolerance for people that misuse firearms. None whatsoever. We are not proponents for them. We're, you know, a lot of times people like to say, well, the NRA just wants a gun in everyone's hands. That is not the case. They want the ability for law-abiding people to have access to, to tools of defense, absolutely. And so do we. But if you are using t- those tools incorrectly, you are harming our rights. You are harming other citizens, and we are certainly not behind that. Right. And so I, I have a new friend with me, Andrew Bonka. James Brown and I would like to say, if you own a gun, know how to use the gun, and know the laws. Thank you, James. <laughs> you know, it, it's so the responsibilities that we have, you know, owning a firearm, it is hard. You, know, you have to think about the responsibilities that you have. I mean, we have guns in our house and we have grandbaby. OK, she's th- almost three mm-hmm. and she's curious and she's getting around. And sometimes I forget. And it's like, no, you don't forget. You have to have a routine. And this is no different than if I was 16 and I've never been in a car before and they give me the keys to the car and I drive off. You have to be trained and you have to think about this. What could this firearm do? Now, the gun can't go off by itself. Right. Okay. Some man, woman, child, somebody has to cause that gun to go off. A dog. A dog. Right. Trigger. trigger. (laughs) Remember the dog trigger (laughs) that shot his owner? Yes, it's well, such a bad you know, story. I, mean, I don't know why it makes us laugh because it's not funny, but it's kind of You funny. know, we have a responsibility. And every time I mean, when I'm working on guns and, you know, I load a gun and then it doesn't work. And then I go put it on my bench to work on it some more. And then somebody makes a phone call or whatever. And I forget that the gun's loaded. So what I do every time I touch that gun, I check it again. Check it and there has been times it. where a gun is sitting on my bench. That I've walked away from and I came back to. Now, keep in mind, my bench is a locked area no one has access to. Mm. Went back to my bench and the gun was loaded. Mm-hmm. So, and I go, oh my gosh. Because right. I, I, I knew it wasn't, but I, my routine told me to check it. Absolutely. You know, you cannot check it too many times because every gun is always loaded every time. Right. And, and if it, you think that way, you'll never be surprised. When the salesman at our store... When I ask to see a gun, because I might need it, and I ask them to get out of the case, do you know that they check that gun that's in a locked case, empty, for sale, that when they hand it to me, they open the chamber and look down that barrel to me. And why is that? Because that's the way it's supposed to be. Because every gun is Is always loaded loaded every time. Right. Absolutely. And that is the, the safest way to approach it, the only way to approach it. All right. Well... It is time to wrap up. I can't I'm believe. Not, I'm not ready to go. Not ready to go? You're going to stick around? Going to hang out with Newsman Blade over here? Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> We're going to let James have another say. Uh, Newsman Blade, he, he does pretty much everything around here. He makes the phone calls. He lines up the music for us. He reads the news when we can't find the, the video clips to go with a great news story. And just keeps me on time with the clock and it just we really appreciate it we wouldn't be able to do it without you sir yes. and what a great year it's been and what a great year we have coming towards us yeah. i'm excited about this me too and i with the qbq way of thinking the year is going to be as great as you make it right as don't be you pointing at me what are you pointing <laughs> at me for cheryl because you're just here with me okay, <laughs> i'm well, i'm pointing no, to myself is what i'm doing I'm pointing. i agree with her i mean think about how much more you can get done when you and your spouse or you and your employees can agree on something on the and same just, wavelength and you may not even agree with them but sometimes but, you have to let go of the reins and you have to let somebody else find those errors find those problems Right. All that stuff. And, so. and really, the same wavelength is everybody is is asking the QBQ, the question behind the question. You know, how do how do I improve this situation? How do I improve me? Right. Not trying to be a puppet master, trying to work everybody else around them. So, all right. Thank you to our awesome listeners. What we do here wouldn't really mean much, except it'd be a great conversation. But you are what uh, gives it legs and arms. Thank you to our guests for taking the time to be here with us and share part of their lives and their story with us. 
please keep the conversation going because we are listening. Let us know what you'd like to, to hear about. Let us know what you disagree with. It's, it's all good stuff. And until next time, pray for our nation. Pray for our leaders. Um, the majority of them, at least. <laughs> all of them. Okay. Including the ones you don't like, maybe especially the ones you don't like. And be good to each other. Have a great week. And God bless. Our founding fathers here in this country brought about the only true revolution that has ever taken place in man's history. Every other revolution simply exchanged one set of rulers for another set of rulers. But only here did that little band of men so advance beyond their time that the world has never seen their like since evolve the idea that you and I have within ourselves the God-given right and the ability to determine our own destiny. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free.